You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Melissa Zalouf, and you're listening to Level Up, a podcast for people who love playing, making, growing, and of course, I said it already, playing mobile games. Today on the show, we have our co-host, Anton and Kenrick from Play Ventures, and guest, David Amor, <laughs> CEO at Playment, who I desperately want to call David Amor but I'm not going to, uh, except for that just one time, which I had to allow myself. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, um, all three of you, for being on the show today. Good to be here. Thank you. So, um, yeah, uh, my, my, my trusty co-hosts. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be on the actual front lines uh, of the blockchain gaming revolution as a CEO. But before we dive in, uh, David, uh, we always like to start uh, episodes like this, asking guests a little bit about themselves. Um, how did they get into, in this case, blockchain gaming and why you're so passionate about it? assuming you're passionate about it. <laughs> be a shame if I wasn't, wouldn't it? Uh, my game, professional game experience goes back a long way. I think the first games that I made were on like Commodore 64 and a Nintendo NES. So that sort of dates things. So I think that was around 1990 when I started. And then my history, you know, bridged history, I suppose, is 10 years at publishers, mostly electronic arts, and then 10 years running console companies, mostly one called Relentless, where we made a game, uh, lots of PlayStation games, uh, a series called Buzz, amongst others. And uh, and then 10 years running mobile free-to-play companies. So I, I, I sold my company to a company called Mag Interactive, based in Stockholm. So I've been part of that for a long time. And then about a year ago, actually a little over now, it was it was time to do something else. I love building companies, uh, starting from the ground. And um, somebody who I wanted to set up a company with said, have you considered blockchain games? And I think, like a lot of people, this was, what, January of last year, I think, I liked blockchain, I liked cryptocurrencies, but I didn't really see how they applied to games. Uh, he was making a lot of money through uh, selling artwork as NFTs, and I it sort of... Uh, interested me how that technology worked, who the audience was, how, yeah. And I was lucky enough to have somebody that was experiencing that firsthand. And as I spent more time with it, I think like a lot of people in the blockchain games world, started to understand how it could be applied to games and what the opportunity was. And so that was, as I say, the beginning of last year. And then we formally set up in the summer of last year. So now we're about what, six, seven months in. Um, so there's about... 20 of us, uh, but growing, uh, based in Brighton in the UK. That's us. So tell tell us a little bit more about Playmint. Um, what's kind of the plan, the, the long-term vision, um, and what does the day-to-day -day of running a blockchain gaming company look like? Um, I think we're trying to find the sweet spot between uh, a more traditional game uh, that we've made many of in the past and uh, a crypto game. And, and I think at the moment, those two feel like fairly separate things. There's some really good examples of interesting crypto games. And of course, there's many thousand examples of great, more traditional games. Uh, we'd like to build something that's in between the two, but we want to be respectful of what's clearly working in the crypto game uh, world right now. So uh, we deliberately launched ourselves into an area where we could learn, and that's the Lootverse. Loot is a an NFT that... Um, was released, I think, in August of last year, nothing to do with us. 
Uh, and we love the idea of taking somebody else's NFT and building a game from that. Uh, we figured that it was a good way of our getting our heads around some areas that we think are going to be important in Web3 games. So um, interoperability, composability, that kind of stuff, community. Um, and, you know, I, I think that what we, we released our first game a couple of weeks ago now that went really well, uh, was really popular, more popular than we expected. And, um, and then, you know, for us, it's now working out how we evolve that into a bigger game. Team, team of about 20 of us here. Uh, um, but uh, so we, I guess we've got two tracks. One is that we continue to evolve this game that we built in the Lootverse. And another one is the, a, a 3D dungeon game that we're building. And maybe they meet somewhere in the middle as, as, we, uh, as, as we go. And um, what's the process of sort of um, getting funding for, uh, let's say, if someone's listening, wants to start their own blockchain gaming company? Um, is, is Playment VC backed? Um, and if so, what was the process like getting uh, funding? The, the process that we went through was we started with some angel investment. We got $600,000 of angel investment, which is just enough to, to get together, uh, enough for a core group of people to quit their day jobs. Um, and start focusing on what the company was going to be. Uh, that that was sort of the start, and that came from uh, friends or people that I know that run games companies, and, and I think for a lot of those people, um, it was a way of understanding what the blockchain game world looked like without necessarily doing it for a day job. So, um, so that's got us out the blocks, and then we've recently, in, well, in the process of closing our our seed round, which gives us more money and puts about a year's worth of track ahead of us, uh, assuming that we don't uh, see any revenue. So I think, you know, put some gas in the tank, not too much. We don't want to raise too much at this point, but enough so that we can focus on hiring good people and making great games rather than worrying that the money's going to run out. I think that's fairly typical. It's a, it's a part of the games industry that, uh, a lot of people are keen to invest in, either from the games venture capitalists that are saying, hey, I think this crypto games part of the industry is going to be big, or from the crypto side, people that have made money in DeFi and in the finance world saying, I see the way that the place where NFTs are going to next is in, in games. So you've sort of got two groups of venture capitalists, both interested in investing in, in crypto games, blockchain games. I suppose day to day for me, I didn't answer that question is sometimes it's uh, investing, but really my job is sort of business strategy. You know, how often should we release our games? What audience should they be for? Uh, what can I do to get things out the way for the people that are actually making and designing the games? Because that's, that's not me. That's not what I'm great at, or at least there are people that are better at that than me in the company. So I sometimes consider my job like the, the sport of curling. If you'll bear with me a second, I'm, I'm the guy at the front trying to get stuff out of the way for people. That's sort of how I pitch in my job, if that helps. <laughs> yes, it does. Very visual. Topical reference also. There you go, with our Finnish uh, co-hosts, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, um, David, you, you, you mentioned that you recently launched the first chapter of, of The Crypt, uh, and, um, and a, lo a lot of the content was basically cleared very quickly and quicker than your uh, your expectations within the team. Uh, so um, could you just give a quick explainer on kind of what this first chapter is about, what, what the gameplay is, and kind of how 
how this strategy of uh, quick release kind of ties into your your strategy of building up these communities from the ground up. Uh, and um, if you feel that, is there basically a playbook in the market that you can follow with this stuff? Or are you mostly just sort of learning on the go? If there is a playbook, I'd love someone to tell me what it is. I don't <laughs> think I don't think that exists yet, which makes it fun. I mean, um, I, I like learning new things and everyone's learning together in blockchain games at the moment. Our production thesis is get things out there quickly. It doesn't need to be enormous, uh, just something out there that, meet, uh, that reaches an audience that people enjoy. And um, I think if you can spend too long building a game, you sometimes get sunk cost fallacy where you're, you feel that the thing you're working on has to work because you spent so much time and energy and money on it. So by putting something out quickly, seeing what people like and dislike about it um, is, is something that we try and do. We try and have a sort of cadence of releasing things every couple of months uh, and building on what we've done. Yeah, a description on the crypt would be that, you know, it's a, it's slightly complicated if you don't know the loot NFT. I know you do, Anton, but um, but it's a, a loot NFT is a series of eight items in on a uh, as text that uh, can be used in a game. So what we're doing is we're saying we'll take somebody's loot NFT and we introduce them to our dungeon, and depending on the attributes of the loot NFT, we'll take hit points off the off our dungeon. And I don't think any one person can defeat a dungeon alone, but by collaborating with other people that hold the loot NFT, then they can defeat it, one of our dungeons. And when that dungeon gets defeated, they share in the spoils by way of our relic NFT. So um, that's the prize, if you like. And I guess uh, two weeks ago, I, I had a pep talk with the team ahead of the release saying, you know, this is just an experiment. It doesn't matter if everything goes right. We haven't spent a ton of time on this. Uh, don't expect it to work. Don't expect people to show up. You know, it's a, we don't know what we're doing here and we're learning. And the, the, the value is of the learning rather than the reaction, if you see what I mean. Of course, I secretly hoped that it would go well. But uh, it, 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 two things I'm thrilled about. One is that everything worked perfectly because we're right on the bleeding edge here as far as I'm concerned. As a team, we haven't really done much of this before in terms of blockchain games. But yes, it worked perfectly. And the audience was, uh, it was more popular than we expected to the tune that all dungeons were defeated in 15 minutes. You know, we, I sort of imagined that the level of interest would be such that those dungeons would remain up for weeks, maybe even months. But the fact that, you know, it's a, it felt like an enormous domino rally where we spent four months setting up these dominoes and they were all gone within 15 minutes. So it was a fun 15 minutes uh, and we certainly learned a lot in the process. Nice. And maybe following up from, from that, um, you've obviously seen many different platforms over your career, right? So from consoles mm -hmm. to like mobile, uh, now more on the on the blockchain gaming side. I think one of the interesting things to me is kind of how do you bring this to your audience and the marketing of that? So in, in consoles, it was maybe more to distributors, to, uh, to wholesale parties, or like there was a very different kind of way of distributing your games versus free to play, which was then direct to consumer, CPI over CPA models. How do you see that developing in, in the blockchain gaming world? I don't know. I think that's one of the big questions at the moment. I, I, I've learned that, I, I mean, I've always been a production guy, first and foremost, well, mostly production guy. And, and 
I now understand the role that marketing always plays in games. And it's not completely clear what that looks like in blockchain. So it's very important. My, we deliberately, one of the reasons we, we liked working with Loot was because there was a group of people that were already talking about it. There was an already audience, an audience there that we could address. There's a Loot Town Square that we can speak at. There's Twitter feeds that, uh, that we can be part of. So we sort of growth hacked our way by uh, working in a community of, of people that already love what we were about to do. So that maybe, our, maybe put it in this way. Do you see a, a big difference in kind of your early cohorts, golden cohorts of like your free-to-play mobile games versus now the, the loot people who are playing the game? Do you see a distinct difference there? Or? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, first of all, I would say it's a very narrow audience, people that, that own loot. I mean, I, I think what's what seems to be the case is engaging audiences over Discord um, and giving people a reason to get excited, sharing the white paper ahead of time, engaging with the the people that are playing or will be playing your game. Those all seem to be important attributes in uh, raising awareness and getting an audience for your game. Um, and I think that as time goes on, we'll be introducing a token and, and incentivizing behavior that we like from our players is, I think, a good way to get those people evangelizing and spreading the word. I do think, is it like a golden cohort? I suppose so. I mean, because it was over so quickly, then not many people got to play the game truthfully. So I think something for us is what happens when we go beyond the people that are absolutely fanatical about the loot verse and to a wider set of people that have more of a passing interest. So I suppose in a way it is like a golden cohort. I mean, I haven't done much mass on it, but I imagine that most of the people playing were spending somewhere between $500 and $1,000 on, on gas fees to play. So that tells you something about what that uh, what kind of player that is, I suppose. If if we shift a bit and, and kind of look at the zoom out and look at the overall uh, sort of tech perspective now, especially from uh, from a game studio's, studio's point of view, how would you say, or where do you say, or where do you think the industry is at currently when it comes to kind of adjacent tech that is needed to scale up scale up a business here? Because if we look at free to play right now, you have obviously you have the game engines which is which are being used now. You have the ad networks, all kind of services around marketing attribution and and everything that can be put in place, kind of a plug and plug and play model for many of the free to play studios out there. So so how do you think that this or what's your kind of take on what this looks like now for a blockchain game studio? Yeah, okay. It's um, let's be kind and call it embryonic, shall we? I mean, it's it's early, and I won't say painfully early because I think that if I consider when I was working free to play most recently, then so much of that stuff was already established. So you knew what ad networks you want to use and what sort of CPM you should expect and what, how you optimize your creatives and all of these things were known, and um, there's less opportunity at that point. Everybody, it's easy to find out how the best practice of building a mobile game and how you monetize it, how you retain, and that isn't there yet, and the technology isn't there yet, and even the distribution platforms in blockchain games isn't really there yet. So it's um, a ton of new things that aren't particularly mature yet, but I think that leads to opportunities, and it's uh, 
it's interesting. I suppose you could look at, I, I think of it from two sides, really. There's the, there's the client side, which is, okay, you're not, it's, it's probably difficult to build on uh, iOS and Google Play natively because those distribution systems haven't made their position particularly clear. It's risky doing native mobile games. Uh, Steam is uh, the, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo. None of those app stores are clear about what you can and can't do really in, in blockchain games. So there's a challenge that probably means you're doing something in browser. And if you're doing something in browser, then that client technology isn't as mature as it is in um, making native games. So Unity is obviously our go-to, or not obviously, but has been our go-to for many years. And they do have a browser uh, um, component, but it's not as mature as native. So, um, and, if, uh, and particularly on mobile, mobile web, that's even less mature. So there's some challenges there. And then on the Web3 side, then um, you've got the chains themselves, which a lot of them uh, aren't mature insofar as they don't have a lot of people developing uh, with them or people, players using them. So a lot of when you see uh, blockchains listing a set of features that they have, they are there, but they're just not particularly proven yet. And then there's a suite of technology we sort of use uh, Technology from consensus, so in, to get into the weeds a bit, um, Infura, uh, Truffle, we sometimes use uh, Hard Hat. Um, so it's, it's a set of technologies there, but I think they're probably built for DeFi rather than being built for games. And of course, people are working on that, but it's uh, a lot of these things are beta, let's say. It's kind and of like chicken and egg. It's like, do you, do you need the tech to let you to help you do something, or do you need the thing first, and then supporting tech sort of springs up around it? Well, I think that it, I think all these tools and technology providers see the games industry coming because, uh, as an Anton and Kendrick know, there's there's a lot of investment coming that will create a lot of games, and they're all going to need this technology. So I think it's coming, but it's just it's just early. Speaking of DeFi, um, we've seen a lot of kind of vampire attacks in DeFi, right? Where one, one contract gets cloned, like famous example, of course, Uniswap and, and Sushi. Uh, how do you see this in, in games? Are you more keen to build for like an interoperability world or are you more keen to keep a bit of close sort and closer to your chest kind of development? Because it's obviously a very big departure from uh, traditional free-to-play games, right? Which in in which you have closed-loop uh, economies. Yeah, I'll answer that by way of a short anecdote um, that I was recalling to the team the other day. In 2013, I was running a console studio making PlayStation quiz game, and it was like an amazing quiz game. We'd sold 10 million copies. Really, you know, a big PlayStation game. And um, I remember there was a, a game called Four Picks One Word, which was a relatively early mobile game. Do you remember that one? Doesn't doesn't matter. Look it up. It's a fantastic game. I thought, watch this. The game makers are coming now. Stand aside for picks one word. Sure, you've had your moment in the sun, but the real game makers are coming, and will you know the, these players? They just don't understand what a good game looks like. So, um, so you know what I completely misunderstood was how the people that were playing mobile games were not after the kind of experiences 
that that I was in the habit of making for PlayStation. And in fact, nothing much was the same. The ways of monetizing were different, the session time, the game mechanics, uh, marketing, uh, analytics, segmentation, all of these things that proved to be really important in mobile uh, weren't really a thing at that time in console. And and I got a feeling that something similar is going to happen here with uh, with crypto games, let's call them, where uh, there's a set of things that we won't have seen to date that will end up being really important in blockchain games. And I think it's difficult to say exactly what they'll be. I've got a feeling that interoperability and composability will be a couple, um, which is why, you know, we've we've doing things that are interoperable insofar as we're taking a loot NFT and and indeed the NFTs that come out of our game are being built into other loot experiences. Uh, and I think that's going to be an important part of games, uh, uh, blockchain games. But, but I don't think we got to a point yet where I can list all the important aspects of what a blockchain game will be. I think that would be clearer next year and clearer still the year after. What do you think? Um, I personally think, um, yeah, the open source interoperability, that's what we've seen already, right? That allows people to take each other's inventions and just continue to iterate and, and make things better. So um, I'm all for the open source approach here. The, the fight is going to be at the, at the user stage, right? Like where and how do you bind the users to your game, your protocol, your coin, whatever that, that may be. Um, but then the product itself can just leverage all of the other stuff that has been built in the ecosystem. I think we've seen that. Um, and then it's down to the, to the team and the values of uh, retaining, retaining your users, basically. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about. One thing about interoperability is the, is the fact that you're able to bring in an audience from another game into yours by taking their NFT. So an example might be land in Axie, where other, because of this permissionless way that NFTs work, uh, another company can say, we honor your, um, your Axie land here, and you can use that in our game. Now, they're not doing that necessarily to be nice. I think they're doing it so that they appeal to people that are playing Axies, and an Axie player doesn't have to go from a cold start. One of the things I found in games is it's very hard if you've built up a lot of value as a player in a game to then encourage somebody to start playing something brand new is, is difficult because of the amount of time and energy they've invested in it. So by having some interoperability between games means that, sure, the work that you've been putting in, in this game now can be used in in the game that we, we're we introducing. So I think that will be an important aspect in blockchain games. It's my guess yeah. today. Hmm. I think my guess, I think my guess there is as well that kind of the, the interoperability part is not so much about that you would want to include other people's assets in your games just for the sake of it uh, or because it, it would be more fun. Uh, I don't think it, and plus with all the work that is needed by creating, creating new 3D models from the ground up and balancing them from your own game, it's probably not sort of the main point. I think it's uh, something that sort of a lot of the crypto people like to bring up as an idea who necessarily don't have a background in game dev or working with uh, with games that kind of underestimate the difficulty of, of doing that, that at scale. But I think, as you mentioned, David, it could be interesting from a user acquisition point of view 
by showing that hey you might you might be able to bring something that you yes. have invested and own in this game but as a developer you likely still want to upsell a lot of the stuff in your own game as well as well for the for the people but um as as sort of there's going to be more intelligence and more tools built around uh wallet activity for example what nansen is doing on on you being able to track kind of how what people purchase you will be able to find for example the wallets that want to spend on dungeon crawling games and mm -hmm. then th those are the wallets you want to be targeting with looking at kind of what nfts they own and then propose that hey, you can bring something that you own into our game as well and then it's your job as a developer to basically retain those within your own ecosystem and then you start sort of upselling your own assets yeah. making them further ingrained into that well, game and another way of i agree with your production headache of trying to support a very eclectic set of nfts i don't think it's going to be quite that literal something to consider is that going back to that loot nft the loot nft is can be used in a dozen games right now, or at least a dozen experiences of one kind or another. And one of the reasons that works is because the NFT itself is quite simple. It doesn't, you know, it isn't a sword that needs to be rendered in a certain way. It's a very simple list of items. Um, and because you've started with that list, rather than it started in somebody else's game, you have to pull it out somehow and put it into yours. No, you, you started with the uh, with the primitive of this MFT, NFT that then gets built out. So I think if you if you start in a different place, then that interoperability becomes um, easier because you all got the same starting point rather than trying to pull something in for somebody else's game, which is maybe different. Yeah, and then sort of one one quick note there as well. I think people maybe tend to forget that you can sort of decouple the actual NFT from from the from the 2D asset that it is showing if there's a JPEG, for example. And we could yes. think that let's let's list the landowners in Axie. And then yeah. those NFTs could be in, in your game, they could just be early access passes to the alpha version yeah. of the gameplay and have nothing to do with land in that game. Yes, that's right. I mean, it could just, I think creatively it's less interesting, but you could just say, hey, I'm going to honor your NFT by way of a starter pack for my game. You know, it's not it's not trying to rebuild the sword in a brand new game. It's just saying, hey, if you've got cool stuff, we're going to give you a head start in this game. Exactly. If we spend just a few few moments on talking also about kind of blockchain versus traditional gaming, given that you you've had a you've had a career in, in traditional gaming and now moving into into this new space, you mentioned already a couple of of sort of technical challenges. Uh, that 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 you've seen as company and the stuff that you um, you kind of need to learn or relearn things and learn new things from the ground up. Um, any other ways you've noticed, maybe from a team building perspective or or kind of keeping the team in check for the roadmap in terms of kind of leading leading game companies in this new space versus in the old old space. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of opinion in blockchain games at the moment. A lot of more, to, a lot of people join the games industry because of a love of a certain kind of game, and when that type of game doesn't match the game that um, the game that you're building doesn't match the reason the game that you love join the industry for. I'm not explaining that well. You know what I mean. So I, I noticed the same thing in mobile games that um, we I knew a lot of people that loved making PlayStation games because they love playing PlayStation games. And now you have to 
persuade those people, look, we should be building uh, mobile games. Same thing, there's a lot of lack of education about what we can do with Web3 and blockchain games. So I guess that's uh, something, finding people that really understand the opportunity of blockchain games takes a bit of understanding. Truthfully, it hasn't been a particularly big problem for us. We've been able to find a great set of people that understand the opportunity and are really loving what they're doing here. Uh, so I suppose that's a consideration. Another one is that we think a lot about is audience, because at the moment, um, the way I describe it, I suppose that the core gamers currently look at uh, look at this with disdain. This this the introduction of NFTs into something they love, um, and then I suppose casual players, people that might be playing Candy Crush, uh, are probably apathetic about this. You know, don't, don't really see what it ads or don't even know about it, I guess. So so we've chosen to target people that already understand the space and love these kind of games, which which means that there's a, an audience that can't wait to see what we build, but it is a smaller audience than, than we're used to. Um, and, and there's a bit of figuring out exactly who that audience is and what kind of game we should build for them. So we talk a lot, a lot about that. How much of a traditional game should it be versus something that's more DeFi or GameFi is something we talk about. But but ultimately we're games makers, so what we build will ultimately look like a look and feel similar to a video game that you've played before, or hopefully taking our learnings from these earlier experiments, which are let's call them more esoteric, I suppose, in terms of a game. Any um so we, we speak to a lot of uh, founders right, who are looking to build in, in Web3 or, or crypto gaming. And most of them are um, about half my age, if not if not more. Um, they, they definitely were not around in the console days. Um, are there any kind of universal truths or like learnings you would suggest to them? Um, we, we basically see like very crypto native 20-year-olds uh, come to market with a gaming idea. Um, mostly with a white paper and just an idea for, for that game. Any special words of advice for uh, for them? Well, you know, I pause a little bit because people that are crypto native coming to the game space understand a set of things that I don't, you know, there. So I don't want to assume that I have all the answers for people starting to make games here. I would say that what I found over time is... Um, it's probably better to do a small, a game that's smaller in scope, that's more polished than a game that you never quite finish or is rough around the edges. And I, I, I'm not saying uh, create something that's a tiny experience that's, that's over as, as soon as it's begun, but too often I see people's uh, ambition in terms of size of game uh, be something that they can't execute well. Um, it's difficult to make a game and the more people you have building a game sort of the more complicated it becomes so I like to do a small thing well that's worked for me another thing that I found to be true is that it's always about the execution not about the idea I, I used to have the opinion that my ideas were amazing because Sony would pay me lots of money to make them so I must have amazing ideas but it turns out it's not really the ideas ideas are ten a penny it's how well you execute them that, that really ends up being important. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's an important thing to consider, which means that the people around you who are actually building it have to be the best at what they do uh, because the, the idea won't take you to the finish line. 
Um, and I, I guess another thing is that, uh, again, just talking about it, it, mistakes I've made in the past, I suppose, is that the audience is always way bigger. Well, let's say the audience that will play a game is way bigger than you would think. I remember when we had a front cover of Trendy Magazines with Laura Croft, I was thinking, well, wow, we mass market. Or you sell 100 million Wii's and OAP's are playing games. Oh, now the world is playing games. And each time, like year on year, um, it's expanded beyond what I thought was possible. What are we now, 3 billion people playing games? But I would bet that we're not at the top yet. So the challenge is, well, what, what's stopping the remaining... I don't know how many people in the world, 4 billion people playing those games. And then if you can figure out what what is it, why is there not a game that they've uh, played to date? Because I think if you can create the right experience, then you will find a, a new audience that's, that's out there still. So I think about that. And I, I guess maybe we're seeing it in some uh, play and earn games at the moment that we're seeing people start to play games for, uh, for the first time, because they're motivated by the idea that they might say, make some money in it. You know, maybe that's ends up being important in blockchain games to reach a bigger audience. If I if I say you're venerable, is that an insult or a compliment? <laughs> if I'm vulnerable, you mean? No, venerable advice. Oh yeah, no. oh, I venerable see. Venerable David Amor. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. It's a double-edged coin, that one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, last sure, question. It. Yeah. Um, what are some of the uh, blockchain gaming projects and startups uh, we should be looking out for in 2022? Obviously, Playman excludes. Well, no, actually, you can, you can shameless plug here. Sorry. You can start with Playman and then tell us about some others. <laughs> I won't do that. But, um, do you know, the, the thing that I cha find challenging in this space is a lot of the games, including games that have actually sold a lot of NFTs, when you reach out and touch them, they're not really there. You know, there's lots of games where I go, wow, lots of people getting excited about this game. But then when you look at it, there's no gameplay or, or being presented yet. And that's not to say they won't ever, but I'm a li little bit suspicious of games that talk a lot about how amazing the game is going to be without showing anything of it. Because I guess going back to my point that it's about execution, not about the idea itself. Uh, we're talking a bit about uh, Theta in Arena lately. I think I admire that as a game that is somehow um, native on iOS and Google Play um, and uh, has NFT elements and is high production values and seems popular. You know, I think that's um, a game that's uh, impressed us. Um, I guess uh, Star Atlas, so maybe put that could be amazing a lot of uh, fanfare for, for something we'll, we'll see what that turns into maybe but that could be the star atlas of the blockchain games world i'm not sure yet but uh, i don't know anton kenrick you you have your finger on the pulse of all these things any any that you're playing or looking out for I'm, i made the mountainist a couple of episodes ago oh really you can repeat they the can question do it again you... do it again yeah, if you ask us we're just going to shield our own portfolio right so. <laughs> it's a fast fast moving industry who knows what we said last week could be very different today meta it's all about meta soccer um but as you said it's not it's not about the gameplay it's about the experience it's about the lead up to the gameplay it's about beautiful concept art 
eventually, <laughs> eventually we'll get to an actual game. Uh, but let's let's not get ahead of ourselves, shall we? <laughs> well, and that's over, another, you know, o- overarchingly, I think we're 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 very excited to see sort of game developer talent going into the space and really start seeing tangible products and games hitting the market uh, outside of or sort of beyond the the fluff of of, of NFT drops and uh, and token sales and actually see end yeah, user products in the market and that's especially teams like teams like David who actually bring bring experience from game development and are really holistically thinking about how how to how to make a product for for a real audience here is is something that we're we're on the lookout for this year and and the way that I look at that so I know a lot of gaming CEOs people that run gaming companies that uh, start companies and run gaming companies. I think 2021 was the first year that people said, okay, this is uh, viable now. This is going to be a, a, everybody's in the games industry, at least the CEO, CEOs I knew say, okay, yeah, I can see this being an important new part of the games industry, but often they are running a games company already. So even if they thought the best thing for them to do would be to jump into this area and start a new games company, they have to honor what they set up or you know they can't just leap out the games company they're currently running so i think there's a i, I was lucky in so far as i was building a, a company just as it became clear that this is a new part of the games industry i think we'll see other games uh, ceos move from traditional games let's call them or casual games into the blockchain space this year and next i'm sure anton kenrick you're speaking to those kind of peoples as uh, as a vc absolutely yeah. This has been super, super interesting. Thank you, David. Um, And of course, thank you to my uh, wonderful co-hosts, Anton and Kenrick. I think we've covered a a lot of ground. I actually have a whole, you guys have given me an idea um, for for another episode. So um, people who are listening, keep tuning in for the endlessly evolving story of blockchain uh, blockchain gaming. Um, And yeah, thank you guys for a great episode. (laughs) 